We Pennsylvanians are tough, we're steadfast, we're resilient. And over the next few weeks, we will need to continue our social distancing efforts while we continue to plan for a phased reopening. And as we remain steadfast, I'm asking you for hope and the fortitude to protect our Commonwealth and belief in a safe and prosperous future. Welcome to Delaware Valley Journal on the Air, the podcast of DelawareValleyJournal.com. This is our inaugural podcast. I'm Michael Graham with Inside Sources and Delaware Valley Journal. With me is the editor of DelawareValleyJournal.com, Todd Shepard. Todd, we're doing it. It's the first podcast. Congratulations. We got there. <laughs> thanks, everybody, for being with us. Yeah, no kidding. And thanks, all of you. And if you haven't found us yet, we are on Facebook at Delaware Valley Journal, on Twitter at DV underscore Journal for Delaware Valley journal and uh i gotta tell you todd launching a new media outlet amidst the corona crisis was not part of the plan was it no uh originally (laughs) i think we had picked some other uh gregorian calendar uh once in a century event that we were going to launch around it's incredible though and uh you know, one of the things, it's funny, as you reach out to people to try to get them to comment for news stories, you expect them to be overwhelmed. Uh, you get this sense that people want to be in the news story because they've just, b- besides Twitter, besides Facebook, like the need to communicate, not just to their own sort of constituency, but the need to communicate to right. all kinds of people. And so they're going over time to, to talk to every outlet they possibly can. And it's inspiring, really. It is. And and thanks, everybody, who's uh, helping us get the uh, platform launched. And obviously, please share DelawareValleyJournal.com with your friends as well as this podcast. Uh, so you've been th- – the challenge is you've been talking to people in Bucks, Chester, Delaware, Montgomery counties, but you haven't actually been able to look at them <laughs> while you're doing it because nobody can meet. We can't see anyone. It's it's very odd. In fact, we're gonna. Uh, you did it. A you did a great conversation with a uh, an award winning teacher from the area with some tips on what moms and dads can do now that they've been forced to teach their kids at home. And the audio is it's fine, but it's not great because we had to do it on the phone because we couldn't meet and talk to her. That's the world that we're in. So as you've tracked these people down, Todd, what have people across the Delaware Valley regions, the suburbs of Philadelphia been telling you about what's on their mind at this point in the Corona crisis? Well, clearly, I think there's still a lot of discussion about the way the closures rolled out from the governor. Um, I think there was some, there have been some some praise, I guess you would say, for doing it county by county. But there were other elements of the rollout that they felt were clunky and weren't uh, as well thought through. The other thing that I'm hearing is people are talking about the losses, and and not just in the way I might say uh, I lost my car keys. I mean, and obviously that's a terrible comparison here. But what I'm saying is, is people are talking about complete resets. So look, we we saw a few weeks ago stocks had lost. Uh, everything that had been gained since Trump became president. But what I'm hearing is people are saying that small business owners feel like they've been reset to the point that they're in the the very beginning days of their business. Like it's that tough and the, the stresses on them are that numerous and they seem that insurmountable. And the other thing, of course, is with the unemployment numbers, you're hearing people talk about all of the gains made since the 2008 Great Recession all of that has been lost again. So it's this this feeling of reset, and it's not a good reset. It's an astonishing number just to pull one of the many hundreds of data points we could out of this story. One year ago right now, the unemployment rate in Chester County was 
0.3%. Right. Now yeah. we've we've got new numbers and of course these are preliminary numbers about statewide in Pennsylvania being 6% and we know that it's bigger than that because the flood of people uh, applying for unemployment benefits or the flood of people who've lost their jobs and are in line to get benefits and et cetera, et cetera. We don't even know how big the, the raw number is, but just think about that 2.3%. And then one calendar year, year later, we're looking at great recession unemployment numbers or worse. Right. Um, look, we've seen some limited breakout data from the State Department of Labor. Um, and it, that was just a, what they've broken out by county just shows a two week period. But if you just did some minor extrapolating from that, it's easy to think that unemployment has doubled, in, almost tripled in in places like Chester, Delaware County, Montgomery County. It's a little too early to say that definitively. And, and even the Department of Labor is qualifying that data, saying it's incomplete. But still, when you look at it, yes, the numbers are breathtaking and it just gives you a sinking feeling of how much pain it's causing everyone. Yeah, you know, one of the uh, interesting uh, stories you did this week was about how the uh, uh, Pennsylvania National Federation of Independent Businesses office is dealing with these local business people who you mentioned feel like they've been pushed back to square one by the uh, government ordered shutdowns. So uh, what did you learn in that conversation? So when I was talking to Gordon Denlinger at the NFIB, the Pennsylvania NFIB, there were some problems with the rollout of the, you hear this on cable news a lot, the PPP, uh, the, the payroll protection loans that, that Congress uh, gave in the, in the recovery bills. Uh, there, were, there were a lot of problems with the rollout. There was a lot of confusion. Most of that is behind them. Still, the people that have been awarded loans, they're worried that it doesn't go far enough. Of course, this is why Congress is debating a fourth bill now. Um, but beyond that, uh, I, you know, the, the other problem there is the, the small business owners, they're, they're in a 75-25 split on that money. 75% has to go to payroll. And right now they're feeling like they actually need more flexibility on how those percentages are broken down. And uh, because you know me, Todd, you know that I'm always happy to talk about drinking. Uh, the grousing, griping, complaining about the current status of alcohol and the Keystone State is absolutely fascinating. You had a story on that this week, too. Look, I think it's funny. Uh, it's predictable that Pennsylvanians would try to cross borders to buy their alcohol once the alcohol sales were turned off, right? But I think what's been interesting has been the neighboring states have tried to stop this in some cases in West Virginia and in Maryland. So far, New Jersey seems to be uh, well, let's let's just say they're not obstructing. Um, and so <laughs> they're the ones getting the windfall. For example, I talked to one salesman. His name was Bill at Benash Liquor Store. Uh, they're in Merchantville. That's just, you know, five or seven miles into the border in New Jersey. They said they're doing a lot of curbside orders and they are seeing a ton of Pennsylvania plates. <laughs> I can absolutely believe that. You know, Todd, there's one story that you did this week that really surprised me, and it's the efforts to shut down the work on the Mariner East pipeline. Now, I know the pipeline's controversial. In fact, the whole, you know, they have this national conversation that's going on outside of the Delaware Valley about, you know, building pipelines for natural gas, et cetera. But we just talked about the unemployment numbers and, you know, more than a million people looking for work. Here you have a project where people are working and you've got activists and a handful of uh, county officials in Delaware and Chester counties who are trying to stop 
the guys from working on the pipeline in the middle of this downturn? Right. Well, the county officials uh, here, we're talking about Delaware and Chester, as you mentioned, they say they've received complaints from people in the area close to the pipeline construction, and they say the social distancing rules aren't being followed. Um, now, I've talked to someone that's close to some of the, the pipeline work, and they say in a lot of these cases, those complaints don't make sense because uh, say, for example, some of the people who might be close to another to one another who are welding, they have face masks on, right? So they actually have shields in between their faces. So social distancing doesn't necessarily apply in that case. But you're right. Uh, look, the Pennsylvania Energy Infrastructure Alliance, which represents almost all of the people that work in one way or another on the pipeline, they say there are about 1,500 people right now involved on the pipeline construction in one form or another. Now, that's not necessarily southeast. That's across the entire line. But you're absolutely right. That's how many jobs could be at stake if those two counties were to somehow take some sort of action, probably through the State Department of Health or something like that, to get that construction shut down while the crisis is still unfolding. When you're in the middle of a jobs crisis and an explosion of unemployment, it just seems like an odd time to be fighting those fights. I, you know, As an outside observer, it looks to me like that fight's going to be around for a while. No reason to pick on it you know, in the middle of the uh, coronavirus crisis. Well, too, and if it's a if it's a politics play by one side or another, you wonder how much attention it could get when obviously people are focused on one kind of news only, and that's how is the coronavirus sure. progressing. And I want to make it perfectly clear to all the authorities listening, I will not be wearing a welding face mask at any point to fight the coronavirus. And then you did something great. You caught up with some award-winning teachers to give tips to Delaware Valley moms and dads about how they can do a better job of playing teacher. In fact, you even conned one of them, Todd, into chatting with you uh, for the podcast. Yes, because the new normal is that the kids are home. uh, The rest of the academic school year is closed. And so mom and dad are with the kids full time, not just with them, right, but they're actually having to be involved in their hour by hour learning. And that's a completely new situation for everybody. So we're very fortunate right now to be joined by Liz Landis. Liz is a high school teacher. She teaches uh, environmental science and biology at Marple Newtown High School. Uh, Liz, thanks so much for joining the inaugural Delaware Valley Journal podcast. Thank you for having me. First of all, tell me a little bit about your background in Newton and, um, you know, are you a local or a native Pennsylvanian? What's your story? I'm not. Um, I went to, I grew up on Long Island, so I went to Lindbrook High School on Long Island and the way I got to Pennsylvania was via Villanova University, so um, I spent five years at Villanova University. I double majored in biology and psychology as an undergrad, and then I got my master's in a 10-month master's in education program that Villanova, I was one of the, the first cohorts through Villanova to be in that program. Um, so so that was, that was all great, and then I love the area. I, I love Pennsylvania, um, so I knew I wanted to stay, and for the last 14 years, I've taught biology and environmental science at Marble Newtown High School in Newtown Square. The reason we're talking to you today is because we did this story earlier in the week where we talked to you and 
uh, another, we talked to a gentleman who is the Pennsylvania Teacher of the Year, just trying to get some tips from uh, career educators that we can pass on to mom and dad now that they are, uh, you know, now that they are sort of full-time teaching their kids at home, uh, given the coronavirus situation. I think what really struck me when we talked, and then I put this quote into the story, was your insistence on reaching out to the teacher if the student needs help. But what was unique is you had done that on behalf of your own child. I mean, tell me a little bit about that situation. Was it awkward given that you're a teacher and you're reaching out to your child's teacher? No, I don't think that it was awkward at all, especially given the situation that I find myself in now as, as a teacher. Um, a lot of times I will, I, I try to put out a variety of different learning experiences for my students. So I'm using all kinds of different like programs and third party programs. Um, that I've never had any kind of experience with in the past. And sometimes it's hard for me on the teacher end to know what that's going to look like once it pushes out to students. Um, so there have been, there have been issues with the way that that education is kind of like translated in what I've pushed out to students. And I'm fortunate to work with high schoolers who are quick to let me know when something isn't working and isn't looking right on their end. So when a similar situation arose with my own elementary school student, um, it, it was the first time that I've actually ever reached out to a teacher, but I, I felt that I was kind of doing him a service and letting him know that on the, on the parent end and on the, the student end, the program wasn't working effectively. Um, and I look for that kind of feedback from my own students, and I've been fortunate to, to get it so that I can quickly kind of pivot and, and find a different way to address the learning standards. What's your average day looking like now? How How many calls are you getting? Are they parents? Are they students? Um, give us a sense of what that looks like. Um, it's, it's pretty busy, and it's busy at all hours, which is kind of different for me. Um, it kind of feels like, like it never ends, and I think that that's something that um, from a teacher perspective and from a family perspective, I think that everyone needs to, to kind of set some boundaries for themselves. Um, if I'm if I'm communicating with students at 10, 11 o'clock at night, is that giving them the idea that I think that they should be up at 11, and 11, 11 o'clock at night communicating right. back with me? I, I don't want to give them that, that feeling. Um, so, so I do think that boundary setting is important. I'm receiving um, many emails. Like I can scroll through one day of email in my email, and it's, it's just I hear from students all day long, sometimes multiple times per student, and I appreciate that. I, I, it's the best part of my day when I get to even communicate with students through email. And I'm fortunate that in my district, teachers are allowed to use Zoom. Um, so I'm, I'm able to have um, like 30-minute quick Zoom classes that are optional for students, but I find that most of my students do attend. Um, they're looking to get, get to see me and get to see each other. It's a great social platform as well as a, a learning, teaching and learning platform. Because you're in contact with the students so much, are you hearing maybe social disappointments? Because I, I'm, I'm, I see a lot of that on social media, um, disappointment about athletic events, the prom and things like that. How, yeah. how devastating was this uh, when school was closed for the remainder of the academic year? I think that it's, it's really pretty devastating for students at all levels. Um, I do work with seniors in my AP Environmental Science class. 
and they are understandably very devastated over this. Um, but I think that a lot of them are looking at, at the bright side. They're looking at, this, at that there are some silver linings to this. Um, they're taking those opportunities to, to make social connections via Zoom when we have those meetings. I had students at the end of my last meeting, I said, so do you want to do this again next week? And they were like, you can message me any day of the week and I'll be on within 10 minutes to, to Zoom with you in the class. They, they like to have that connection continuing through that platform. Once we finished the story, published it, got it out on social media, we saw and, and we were flattered, frankly, that some teachers groups had shared it. Once that happened, did you get any feedback from many of your fellow teachers saying, hey, thanks for saying this or, oh, you left out maybe something else? I didn't actually. I, have, I haven't heard from anyone. I, I guess I'm in my little hole right here. <laughs> <laughs> They're too busy taking calls from students and so forth. Uh, that's probably what it is. <laughs> well, I think the last thing is, um, the one thing that you mentioned, and I'd ask you to just reiterate here, is I closed the story because it, it felt poignant with a quote from you where you said, we've got to give ourselves some grace here. And if you could just touch on that idea again for me really quickly, because I think it's important that we hear this message frequently, and sometimes it helps to hear it from sources, from people we don't even know. Absolutely. I think that this is just such an unprecedented situation, um, and, and everyone's dealing with it differently, but I think grace is important for students, grace is important for parents who are finding themselves in really just a whole new world. Um, it's important um, to give your students, teachers, grace, and just everyone involved. It's a it, it's an unprecedented, just truly extraordinary situation that we find ourselves in. Um, and I think that all the progress that that we have made, the fact that schools are still in essence up and running, and students are learning, um, is really commendable and really just shows how much everyone cares about doing what's best for kids. We thank you so much for the time you took with us earlier in the week, so we could do that story and for taking some time with us today on the on the podcast thanks a lot you are very welcome great conversation todd thanks for sharing it with us and by the way you can get more tips on teaching your kids at home at delaware valley journal todd talked to several award-winning teachers for the piece thank you for listening to this the inaugural edition of the delaware valley journal on the air podcast you will always find it at delawarevalleyjournal.com and you can find us on Twitter at DV underscore journal and on Facebook at Delaware Valley Journal. If you have insights or ideas about what's going on in Bucks, Chester, Delaware, Montgomery County that you think people should know about, if there's a local story that's just not getting the attention it deserves, if there's an argument or an issue that you want to hear represented in the local media and it's not happening, just email Todd at InsideSources.com. That's Todd, T-O-D-D, at InsideSources.com. I'm Michael Graham. Thanks so much for listening.